Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. This is me from the future. (laughs) Uh, I I recorded a nearly 20-minute segment on live-action role-play without ever actually... (laughs) Without ever actually using the term LARP or live-action role-play or alluding to... That's what I'm actually partially getting at. Not not, not that this episode is about LARPing, but it is about the, the show Westworld and how that can inform... Your, uh, how you run a role-playing game. And for some reason, I never bothered to just say basically what they're doing in Westworld is LARPing, even though that's not what it's ever called. Um, but I don't know how that eluded me. But so, so yeah, I, I want to acknowledge that that's what kind of what <laughs> partially I'm talking about, particularly early on in the episode. But I failed to ever actually use the term for some weird reason. So my apology to anybody who listens out there who does LARPing or enjoys LARPing that I didn't, I forgot to give you a shout out there. So, so here it is from the future. Now onto the episode. This may not be a very long episode, but I wanted to, to lay down some thoughts I've had for a while and, and, and finally getting around to, to uh, putting them into a podcast. And this is about the HBO television series Westworld and how that can inform game masters in their world building and in their running of a campaign. Um, if you haven't watched Westworld, it's, it streams on HBO, you really should. It's uh, it's fourth season is supposed to uh, broadcast later this year. Of course, it's based on the 1973 uh, movie starring Yul Brynner that uh, was written by Michael Crichton. Some interesting things about that original movie... Um, it had a an actual live action performance, <laughs> as opposed to a voiceover performance by Alan Oppenheimer, who is uh, kind of known as the voice of Skeletor in the original nineteen uh, eighties Masters of the Universe cartoon. Uh, it also has Majel Barrett, who was the wife of Gene Roddenberry, who uh, and voiceover work was the voice of the Enterprise computer, um, and but I think in both the original series and the Next Generation and and. The, anytime you hear that distinct female voice, it's the voice of the computer in Star Trek. That 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 up at least through the next generation and and maybe even Deep Space Nine and and Voyager, where it was Michelle 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 Barrett. She also played Deanna Troy's mother in the Next Generation, but also in, in the original series played uh, Nurse Chapel. And in, in the pilot, she was the first officer. And then when they retooled the pilot and shot a new one, that the network kind of made Gene Roddenberry. Um, I mean, it was a girlfriend. <laughs> he made the first officer, but you know, they were there wanting a male first officer, I think, because she was a female. And so she got demoted from, you know, one of the three main characters to a recurring role as a, as a, as a supporting character. Um, anyway, that's, that's beyond Westworld. Uh, that's kind of a tangent anyway. Um, so, you know, the Westworld had, it had a, a sequel movie, Future World, and a, a brief Beyond Westworld in 1980 television show that Michael Crichton did. That, um, so the, the, the new show, though, is, is, is kind of loose, based on the same concept. It doesn't have really any of the same characters 
as the uh, the the original movie. But what's really cool about the, this this new one on HBO, of course, it's got a really great cast, including um, Ed Harris and um, Anthony Hopkins, um, uh, Jeffrey Wright, and of course Evan Rachel Wood is the main character, plays the main character. Um, uh, who else has been in had roles in there? Ben, ben Barnes, um, and. Uh, Jimmy Simmons, a lot of good, really good actors have had uh, roles on the show. Um, the, the cast changes uh, a little bit in and out over the course of the three seasons. Tessa Thompson, who plays Valkyrie in the Marvel Universe, is on there. Um, Tandy Newton. Anyway, just really, really good actors. It's a really well-done show. And, of course, like most science fiction that has to do with artificial intelligence, it delves really deeply into the question of at what point does an artificial intelligence become a sentient being with inherent rights? Um, and that, Which is what happens with the androids. I don't think I'm spoiling anything too much. Um, that's the basic premise of the show is that, that you've got this amusement park full of androids which are virtually indistinguishable from human beings uh, that the guests get to interact with and kind of it's basically a, it's basically a big um what now we would call it, it's it's basically a live multi-user role-playing game <laughs> open world kind of thi- thing um, which is kind of interesting that Michael Crichton can conceived of something like that in 1973. <laughs> Um, when we didn't even have video games as we know them right now, but but he he created this idea of this amusement park full of androids with artificial intelligence that you could interact with, and it he wound up mapping out what ultimately is kind of what World of Warcraft and and uh, games like that are like now. Anyway, um, but in the HBO series, the current ongoing series. Because it's a it's a it's a television series, they have much more time to to delve into what's going on. You know, the question becomes of are the androids sentient, and and when they are, does that mean they have certain rights? And how do you get people to recognize that, or or is this just a, f- a fluke of their programming? And then eventually we turn, you know, you start to question, well, how do human beings? Do human beings have free will? I mean, if these androids are acting according to programming, why? Well, Aren't humans kind of programmed by our, our family and our community and our society and our culture? How much do we actually have free will? So it gets into it's a good, solid sci-fi delve into the nature of those sorts of questions um, with really good writing, really good acting. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about with uh, with D and D and other role playing games. I just I just want to give the, the show its its due. Um, for for the quality show it is, and then kind of what the point of the show is. But it does <laughs> if you if you're into role playing games, whether they're video games or or tabletop role playing games, you'll see some familiar tropes. I, I mentioned Ben Barnes, uh, who is who is a, a, an actor who played. Uh, you may I think you, you might have seen him if you saw the second um, Chronicles of Narnia movie. He, he played Prince Caspian. If you watched uh, the Netflix Punisher series, uh, he he plays Jigsaw. Um, but in this movie, he plays a, a a guy who's a regular visitor to the park uh, as, as during the first season. 
uh, who's bringing his his brother-in-law along for his first visit, which kind of parallels the the original 73 movie. They're not the same characters, but it's that same concept of, hey, I go to this place all the time. I'm bringing my friend along with me to introduce him to what you do. But Ben Barnes's character is a murder hobo. He he goes in, he doesn't, he, he kind of barely gets into character, only enough to interact with the androids, and he basically just uh, does whatever twisted thing comes into his mind. <laughs> he doesn't care about plot. He doesn't care about acting or exploring anything other deeper than his own, you know, drinking and, and having sex with female androids and murdering, because he can get away with it. And so the question is, is this a bad person? Or is this a uh, a person who's just in a consequence-free environment and exercising and exploring some of those things we're not allowed to in society? That's a question that comes up in the, you know, why do we let people do that in this, get away with this? Why are the guests allowed to do this? It's a little creepy or disturbing that they would go there, and one of the arguments is they're, this is a safe place for people to explore some of their darker impulses, and then they can go back to being normal, well-adjusted, happy people when they go home. Do they? Do they not? I mean, well, you know, some people wonder what, what the appeal of playing an evil character in Dungeons & Dragons is. Uh, and we get into lots of safety tools, talking about lines and veils and what is in it is and isn't available at the table depending on the group and their tolerances and what kind of theme of the campaign you're going to run. How, you know, when, when you're not playing heroic characters by choice, you know, what, what are the boundaries on that? So uh, so you recognize those parallels. There's other things you'll see um, because these androids are basically NPCs and the guests who come to the park are player characters. They physically dress up in Western attire. And, of course, there's other sections of the park with different themes. There's the Shogun world, and there's other in medieval world. and But West world is where the story primarily focuses and all the, all the main action happens. Um, uh, so, so you dress up, in, and it's the Old West, and they've got a town where you come in on the stagecoach or on the train. Um, if you explore the larger, like I said, open world, you can come across ranches and farms and you can come across a, a, a Native American a village. Uh, but, and here's where it gets into, I think is very informative to, if you're a game master, whether you're building your own world or playing in an established setting, whether you're running a pre-written campaign or writing your own campaign, it's really impressive to watch, and, and these are some minor spoilers, but I don't think they'll they'll ruin anything for you if you haven't ever watched the show. How the the the, the, the concept of how this theme park has been set up is you have uh, obviously the androids, which are such sophisticated AI <laughs> that you people you can't tell. That they're not androids, and the the materials and the use that to even construct their bodies are indistinguishable from humans in any kind of way that a guest would interact with them. Um, and they have safety protocols, so you can get into conflicts with androids. You can get into a gunfight with an android. You can get into a fistfight with an android if you want to. Um, but they're programmed with some inherent protocols to stop them just short of actually seriously injuring or killing anybody. Right. Um, but the android doesn't know that from its perspective. It, it just, it, it just, they just have these blind spots or these rationales. So, so the androids have a little bit of latitude to change how they interact based on how a human 
comes up and talks to them or, or d- does things with them. So, so, you, so you go into Westworld, you can play cards, you can gamble at the saloon, you can drink, you can party, you can have a gunfight, you can witness a bank robbery, you can try to stop the bank robbery, you can take part in the bank robbery. And as you explore around this the area, you come into these different things. So the idea behind the park is they've got these, you know, uh, <laughs> neuroscientists and computer engineers and and um, in in all the you know that have developed these androids, but they've also got a team of of writers and artists who have created this narrative. And what happens is, you know, the sun comes up, the narrative starts, and there's certain things that are going to happen over the course of the set time frame that the story plays out. And if no guests are in the park, for example, the androids just carry out the story. Um, it plays out like a Western movie. But it's really complicated because there's certain things, not every event is really connected. So there's little bits of it going on everywhere. But they've written it to the point of the detail that the, the, the writers have, not the writers of the show, but the writers of the, the authors of the narrative of the park. And the androids have been programmed and set up in such a sophisticated way that those little events can intersect and when they do intersect they, there's a there's a there's a sort of a natural course of how the this that the, all the androids interact until the story reaches its conclusion and when you go to the park you get to insert yourself into the story and the story adapts based on how the humans in the park interact with it so that the androids change course so so you know, one one scene is that the, the, the default is a uh, guy comes back into town. He's a like a a lawman. He, he comes back into town and he bumps into kind of this um, uh, rancher's daughter that has come into town to get supplies, and they have a moment, and there's a romance there. These are two androids. You could, as a guest of the park, intervene in that. <laughs> You know, you can interact with one of those androids and and have your own moment, and the one that isn't part of that is going to pick up and move on and just go about what would have happened had they not had that particular meeting <coughs> in the street outside of the the general store. So, um, what I'm getting at with this is that if you're a DM and you're going to run an adventure. It's a good idea to think about what is going to happen if the heroes just sit at home and do nothing. What what's going to happen, and what's the time frame that that's going to play out over? If I and it's just like that idea of, of what happens in Westworld when there are no human guests in the park and the androids just carry out the narrative as it is by default. Okay, if you know that. Then you can start thinking about, okay, well, now we introduce the player characters. They come in here, and, and, and it's completely up to the players what their characters do. If you know what is going to go on by default, then you as the GM can tweak what happens based on what the characters choose to do and what they choose to engage with. Do they ignore a quest giver's plot hook? Well, if they do, what happens? You know, if, if someone... If if the plot hook was you know, hey you're supposed to go rescue some some people that the this this uh, group of uh, orcs or goblins have kidnapped, what happens if the players don't do that? Do, will the players later find out perhaps that, you know, 
now this 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 group of uh, of raiders is now emboldened because they've gotten away with it once. Or did they kidnap someone of importance who, because they're no longer around, that changes something about the the, the town or the home base setting that that, that their the adventures based around? Did another group of adventurers pick up that plot hook, and now you've got another group of rival or competing adventurers running around, making a name for themselves? That could be potential—I say rival, but those could also be potential allies, um, or or sources of information, or or things like that. So, so think about what's the world going to do if the players don't exist, or if they sit around and do nothing. And then think about what with every choice they make, you might have to recalibrate after the session and think, okay, well, here are the things they didn't act on. What are the natural consequences of the fact that they didn't engage with this? And, you know, if they never engage with it at some point, you may just let it go. I mean, you're the DM. It doesn't really exist. Nothing in your campaign setting or in your adventure exists until the players actually interact with it. Because at that point, it's up until that point, it's just theory in your head. <clears throat> so it's not that like you can't adjust it. But when you drop clues or you drop plot hooks or you drop adventure hooks or you drop uh, setting lore, and the players encounter it and they may listen to it and then just if they're not interested or they you know they make their decision about what they're going to do with that information or that opportunity. Um, think about the ones they missed or they didn't quite hook on the way. Maybe maybe it was therefore I say I hate the word they use intended because that implies you were trying to push them there um and and you know make a note of to yourself okay well here's what would have happened over here because they intervened and here's what happened over here because they didn't intervene uh and i find that's very helpful for me you know when i'm writing my own adventure i can i you, you can do a lot more improv right uh because you can change everything like I said, as long as they haven't encountered it and the players aren't going to have any awareness or follow-up questions or, hey, what happened about that guy we met the other day, you know? You can delete it and insert something completely different. But I find when I'm running pre-written adventures, it helps to read through that adventure and think about what's going to happen if, if, if no adventurers come and take part in it. And then what happens, you know... How are the NPCs and the people in that world going to respond, and what's what's the natural outcome of that? So that um, uh, then, when they the players do interact, they have that choice of what they're going to interact with, and you can have the the story or the narrative respond in kind. So I think I'm starting to get a little bit repetitive, and I've gone on now for for just shy of 20 minutes. So I'm going to wrap it up. So, so but that's my suggestion. You know, go watch watch Westworld if you haven't. It's a great show. But that that is a really cool idea to me is to think about within the context of the the, the location and where the the action is going on. What happens when the adventurers don't aren't aren't there? What what, what would normally happen? And then you can sort of make adjustments based on when they show up and what parts of that world, um, what parts of the setting, the adventure, the narrative respond to the way they, the choices they make. Um, because what happens in Westworld is that goes on for a little while and at some point the whole narrative resets itself. So, you know... <laughs> So, because the guests don't stay there forever, so you know every so often it resets back to the to the original narrative, and things start over with with different guests. 
Um, so, uh, of course, that's not going to happen in your venture, uh, except for the fact that I guess you could run, I mean, I've done it. I've ran, like, like, like the Lost Minds of Fandelver, I've ran three different times with three completely different groups of people. And so I have to know, here's, here's the story and how it plays out, but it changes every time based on the decisions the players make and, and how they interact with the, with the NPCs and what clues they pick up on and which clues they, they miss or don't find. So, so you know, that, that sandboxy element is still there. Even though you've got a narrative and a timeline and things are going to play out over a sort of time, that's not the same thing as railroading. It's still kind of sandboxy as long as the players can choose how they respond to that, you've just got, as, as the, the GM who's playing the world, when all the other people in it besides the player characters, how does the world then react to what did and didn't happen in any, you know, the next day, what is, how is, the, what's the state of the world based on what did and didn't happen the day before? So, so there we go. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up there. Uh, go watch Westworld. It's great. I can't wait for the new season to come out. Really cool stuff. Um, Thanks again, everybody, for listening. I hope you're having a good week, and I'll be back later. And that's it for this episode of The Arcane Alienist. I want to thank Dave Bone for the cover art that I use for the episodes. Check out ironseer.com. And the music is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, give me a call sometime through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, and I'll be back in the future with another episode.